friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. This is Tim and Friends for Thursday, June 24th, 2021, where amazingly we sit, wait, and see if the Montreal Canadiens will be the first team to book their tickets to the Stanley Cup final, where amazingly we sit and watch Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks look like world beaters, where amazingly the Phoenix Suns are up 2-0 with their MVP candidate sitting at home, where amazingly the Jays' bullpen held up for a couple of games. Two games. They held up. What a time to be alive when we're here for it. When I say we, I mean me, Timothy, and Jesse Rubinoff, as always, on the ones and twos of Twitter and Instagram, also standing by with First Things First for this special two-and-a-half-hour edition of Tim and Friends all the way on Sportsnet Radio, Sportsnet 360, Sportsnet. You only get... Two hours of whole grain goodness on the radio and Sportsnet 360. The extra half hour, that's on TV and Sportsnet now. Comes your way as we get you set for game six of the Habs and Golden Knights. Ron McClain, David Amber, and the entire crew awaiting the handoff of the baton as we attempt to play the role of Robert Esme and blast off what could be an unbelievable night in La Belle Pavane. Shai Davidi also dropping in on the festivities as the Jays have won four in a row, last two with the help of a near-perfect bullpen. And they lift the lid on four more with the Baltimore Orioles tonight. What does it all mean, alas, Shai? And we will get to all the latest from the NBA. But how about those Montreal Canadiens? The lowest point total of any team in the playoffs. And they are looking to become just the second team in the expansion era to make the playoffs with the lowest point total and go right to the Stanley Cup final. So that's exactly where we start the show today. Jesse Rubinoff, the one Biggie Smalls. It's first things first. First things first. Timmy, it's no secret everybody's talking about today. The Montreal Canadiens. Yeah, a lot of people talking about this. Golden Knights. Not only could the Habs clinch a spot in the Stanley Cup final tonight as they host Game 6 against the Golden Knights, it's also St. Jean-Baptiste Day. It is a beautiful day in Montreal. Tim, how much fun is tonight going to be? For, like, the light of the end of the tunnel of a global pandemic, this might be as good as it gets. Mm -hmm. Like, if you are going to measure it as light at the end of a tunnel on a global pandemic, this is awesome. A provincial holiday, a beautiful day, and the religion of hockey in La Belle Provence could come together to make believers out of the rest of the hockey world. I mean, we're going to have pitchers from Montreal littered throughout the show to give the rest of Canada an idea of what's about to go down. I mean, I would be worried for the city if the pandemic didn't keep a lot of folks inside or the whole damn city might be <laughs> congregating around the Bell Centre. Even Celine Dion knows what this means. That's Chris Cuthbert's picture of the Queen of Quebec in a Vegas helmet was akin to having Hulk Hogan turn heel. NWO for life. But on this St. Jean de Baptiste Day, even she had to reach out 
with an olive branch, tweeting en français, saying that she had nothing to do with the photo. Jesse Rubinoff, does that take Celine Dion off the hook, or is she indeed the Drake of hockey and La Belle Province? She did, she did not want to be inserted into this conversation, but now you know where she stands. Do we? Yeah, I think so. She's, I don't think she's a Vegas supporter. Didn't say that she was a Habs fan either. She just said she had nothing to do with the picture. She wouldn't have said it. If she was a Vegas Golden Knight supporter, she would not have gone on Twitter and said <laughs> no, what she said. Yeah. No it, way. It Come wouldn't on. be like an artist to play no. favorites in whatever city I mean, they're yeah, in. I mean, no. No artists do that. Point. Thank you, no, Cleveland. She, she does well enough in Vegas. They, they <laughs> she sellouts. does well enough, yeah. period. <laughs> yeah. uh, and this run is so remarkably amazing. I mean, think of this. The Habs, 59 points in 56 games. As I mentioned, the lowest of any playoff team, 18 back of the Leafs, who they dusted in the first round, 23 back of the Golden Knights, who they hold a 3-2 lead against right now. Since the NHL expanded to 16 playoff teams in 1979-1980, the Habs are just the fourth team to make the Final Four after having the lowest point total of any team in the playoffs. And they could be just the second in the entire expansion era to make the Stanley Cup as the lowest seed. It makes it feel like a festive occasion. Jesse, it makes it feel enough to craft a match game for. That's right, kids. We've already thrown it out there. The match game today, the Habs playoff run is more unlikely than blank. Once again, for the kids at home not paying attention, <laughs> But wanting to get in on this and have the name read on television and or radio, once again, the Habs playoff run, more unlikely than blank. Jesse, I know that we've uh, already thrown it out there. Do you have a few for the yeah, assembled sure. masses? Sure, why not? Let's right. go through a couple. Uh, you said it. The Habs playoff run is more unlikely than blank. Vinny says, more unlikely than Tim convincing Ken to take the scenic route to Montreal. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> Complete with a Photoshop, Timmy. Complete with the Photoshop. How do you lead with that? That's even a throwback, too, from Vinny when I convinced Sid to take the scenic route to Ottawa. Like, that is, there's a lot there. Congratulations, Vinny, on being a true Tim and Citizen slash Tim and Friend. Well done. Eric. Was that the shagging wagon? The Habs. Why are Ken and I in this? <laughs> the Habs playoff run is more unlikely than Fabio getting hit in the face by a bird while riding a roller coaster. <laughs> Solid callback. I love the callbacks. Keep them coming. Uh, yeah. I just I had to bring this up. This <laughs> I couldn't let it slide. There's Fabio. What What happened, Fabio? Uh, I don't yeah. know. It's just the seagull in my tough, face. Tough luck. Uh, Jonathan, the Habs playoff run is more unlikely than Mark Bergevin wearing a boring suit. That never happens. No, he's always It's incredibly unlikely. Wearing, yeah. Like either like full solid color red was maybe he'll wear that one. Didn't he wear that? Uh, for the well, elimination that's the one games? that got him through the Leafs yeah. series. So yeah. it's kind of become the lucky suit. The Habs playoff run is more unlikely than, as you mentioned, the Leafs. The Leafs winning a round, says David. Timmy, I got to say, I got to say, that's a popular answer. Yeah, most common yeah. answer. I looked yeah. through them earlier today. <laughs> it's like, like, Leafs winning around, Leafs winning around, <laughs> Leafs winning around. Leafs getting through the first round. It's, it's just low-hanging fruit. Like, people on the socials are like, oh. It just comes to you immediately when you think about the answer to this one. But, hey, they lost, so it's fair game. Yeah, that's exactly what we're looking <laughs> yeah. for here. Have some fun with it. Uh, we'll do a few more of those yeah. as the show goes on. In fact, uh, third segment of the show, 
uh, we will go through all of your match games once again. So we've already got it plugged in. We know it's going to go a little bit right now. So keep them coming at Tim and Friends on Twitter, on Instagram, and we got your rear end. So we talked a little bit about what the atmosphere could be like in Montreal. Let's yeah. talk a little bit about the game itself. The Vegas goalies, a big story once again heading into game six. Robin Leonard was in the starter's net and was first off the ice at today's morning skate, leading to speculation that he will, in fact, get the start tonight. Tim, is this gamesmanship? Do you believe Leonard will start tonight? And if so, is that the right move? I think they're past gamesmanship at this point. Like, I don't think that they're... Uh, playing any more games. I know that Peter DeBoer went to the podium again and didn't say who his goalie was, but that's just what Peter DeBoer does. Uh, I think they're going back to Leonard, and I told you after Game 5 that I believed that I thought Marc-Andre Fleury looked a little shaky. And what we found out throughout these playoffs is that the Vegas Golden Knights management and Peter DeBoer have ultimate confidence in both goalies. You don't turn to a goalie in game four down 2-1 if you don't have the ultimate confidence. He got five years and $25 million. He is a Vesna finalist in the last couple of years. He's been there. He's done that. I feel like if you're a fan of Vegas or you just want Montreal to lose – you should probably be on Twitter right now talking poop to Leonard because as we found out, That's right. he's probably at the arena right now reading Do it. you want to? They have your fan of the Golden Knights. You should be yeah. tweeting at him. Yeah, yeah. you should be tweeting crap stuff. him. Yeah. Yeah. Just Real so bad stuff, up. getting yeah, him exactly. motivated. <laughs> I will say this. If, if they don't score goals, it doesn't matter who's in net. Totally. Like, pressure is on. The top two lines of the Vegas Golden Knights have one goal in this series, and that came at 3 nothing from Match Pacioretty in the third period of last game. Like, I'm not going to say it was a garbage time goal, but it's pretty damn close. Yeah. Start whoever you want. If you don't score goals, you're not going to win this hockey game or this series. And if you're Vegas, this is the second straight conference final you've made it to. Last year, you scored eight goals in five games against Dallas. This year, you're on 11 goals in five games against Montreal. You got to do more. They got to see more because that's not enough. 19 goals over 10 games mm -hmm. in the conference final doesn't get you anywhere. Power and they're play, on the yeah. verge. Power they're play, the too. Yeah, power play. I don't care how you do it. You got to find gotta a breakthrough. Big boys got to get going. Yeah, Mark's we'll special that. players yeah. make special plays no on doubt. special days. No doubt. Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, Misfit Line, got to get going. 100%. Uh, much more on that game coming up. Should be fun in Montreal. But... Uh, Nassau Coliseum was a, a scene oh, last goodness. night. An absolute scene. Could have been the last game ever at the Nassau County Coliseum. Facing elimination in game six against the Lightning. The Islanders came back from down 2-0 to send it to overtime. And it did not take long for Anthony Beauvillier to win it in OT. Lightning reverse it near side to far, but give it away. Bailey couldn't hold his own. Turnover in tight. building coming in overtime was smelling like cigarettes and now it smells like beers i mean that place is going crazy <laughs> like you, you can't get any crazier like if they make it to the stanley cup final you can't get any crazier than it got when bavillier scored last night right it can't 
Did you see how many beers it, were thrown on the ice? can't. Hold on. We're, uh, any other place, I would agree with you. Nassau County called. Like, like, I'm, what are afraid, they do? I'm afraid to see if they make the Stanley Cup final. Like, either way, let me just say this. Like, hats off to that crowd that literally, literally stole their team back from Brooklyn, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They... The, the New York Islanders tried to love peace and hair grease and go with the hipsters down in Brooklyn, and they they went tail between their legs back to Nassau County Coliseum, and it was the best move that they've ever made. Totally. If that's the final game that we see at Nassau County Coliseum, I'm all for it. Good for you. You go out with beer cans on the ice and a bleep you Stamkos chant. Like, what better way could they have gone out than that? And if they don't go out like that... They're going to the Stanley Cup final. <laughs> Pretty good, yeah. And true. they might not need a demolition yeah. crew yeah. if they go to the Stanley Cup final because they might tear down that building. The jubilant beer throwing was a, was a turn. You don't usually see that. Usually it's <laughs> anger, a bad call, something goes wrong. We saw yeah. it, unfortunately, uh, the Batista bat flip game. But that was uh, a little different. One big part of the game <laughs> that we got to talk can about. We, can we stop for a glide? second? I want to gloss over that. Can we just stop for a <laughs> second there? Like, Bye. think of that dude and what he went through versus the dudes that threw their beers on yeah. the ice last. Yes. Like, we're celebrating them here today. That dude got vilified yeah. <laughs> for throwing that beer 100%. on the field. Um, big plays in the game that were really missed calls last night was the big story. Is cross-checking not a penalty anymore because there were two by the same guy, Scott Mayfield, on Kucherov first and then Stamkos. And Chris Lee is standing right there again. Chris Lee again, and there was no call. And now we have Nikita Kucherov. His status is uncertain for Game 7. But we have the playoff leading scorer. The playoff leading scorer. We don't know his status for Game 7 because of a missed call. What are your thoughts? <laughs> I mean, what do you want me to say? <laughs> Honestly, like how many times do we have to do this? It's You're, ridiculous. What you just said was basically regurgitating what we said a couple games ago. Yeah. How is Chris Lee working a game a couple days after the entire world watching his work and saying that just wasn't good enough? So they just took him off of the Habs series and put him on the Islanders series? It makes series? no sense. Yeah. It makes absolutely no sense. And, like, I, I don't know what the officials have been told. So part of me feels bad for Chris Lee in a slight sort of like, listen, it's not just him. Mm-hmm. Penalties are down across the National Hockey League. This postseason, outside of the pandemic, throw bubble hockey out of it because it was just a weird, wild thing where there were no fans. And obviously you could see and hear things completely differently than you can now. If you do, the last two playoffs without the pandemic in there, the last two playoffs uh, minus the bubble, are the two least called playoffs in the last 30 Crazy. years. So someone has to have told the referees the that standard, we want apparently. playoff hockey. Yeah. Someone, there, it, there has to be a standard that was set. But I think that if, listen, if you lose Kucherov for an extended period of time and that wasn't a penalty, it's utterly ridiculous. Yeah. And I think the, like if I'm a coach or a GM, I have no idea how John Cooper kept his cool. I have no idea how Julian Brisebois would keep his cool other than the fact that he kind of circumvented the cap to have Kucherov in the lineup. Mm-hmm. But I digress. One this quick, is ridiculous. Yeah, one quick And the thought. world knows it. The world knows it most definitely. We'll have Justin Bourne's take on this game coming up a little later in the show. Um, Chris Lee told 
the Tampa Bay Lightning that he didn't call the Kucherov one because it wasn't malicious. That's what they told the media afterwards. That's what Stamkos said, right? But I just want to tell you that Rule 59 in the rule book, it's, quote, the action of using the shaft of the stick between two hands to forcefully check an opponent is what cross-checking is. There's nothing about maliciousness in there. So they have clearly altered the rules of the game for the playoffs. It's right there in the rule. Well, we knew that. Like, we, how many times do we have to have this conversation yeah. where we say they call two different rule books? Yeah. In the, and cross-checking, like, just watch in front of the net. It's like, ridiculous. what are we talking about? Tim Kerr, back injury. Adam Graves, back injury. It's been years. Cam Neely. Like, every big forward just takes a beating in front of the net, and we never call it. This wasn't even in front of the net. This was egregious. It was missed. It was the same referee again. And here we stand once again talking about officiating when it could have been what an amazing comeback by the New York Islanders. Agreed. So NHL has got to figure this out so that it's not this conversation. Call the damn rule book. I don't even care if you don't call the damn rule book. If it's that bad, call it. Agreed. Uh, to the NBA we go. Trey Young did it again last night for the Atlanta Hawks. Stealing game one on the road for the third straight series with a 116-113 win in Milwaukee last night. Young had 48 points, 11 assists, Seven rebounds, ho-hum night for Trey. Can the Hawks actually win it all to me? Let me just say this. Trey Young has done more for his reputation than I believe anyone in the NBA, and that's saying something because Devin Booker has been unbelievable. Trey Young did it against New York and that hostile crowd and a pretty good defensive team. He did it against Philadelphia and that hostile. You think he's going to be intimidated by Milwaukee? Like, my guy is putting in work, and I mean real work. And if you think, listen, I remember back to a day where we had a conversation on the show after the Raptors lost a tight game to the Atlanta Hawks, and both of them after the game were 17-20. and 20. At one point, the Atlanta Hawks were 14-20. and 20. Since Nate McMillan took over... They're 36 and 15. And by the way, that Trey Young shimmy three was just like <laughs> ice cold. He is, he is going to be ice tray. He is going to be either loved or hated by the rest of the NBA by the end of this postseason. But if you look at their numbers after Nate McMillan took over, this is an elite team. They're 36 and 15. They were 14 and 20. Mm-hmm. They're 36. I'm not saying they're going to beat the Bucks, but anyone thinking that this is a fluke hasn't been watching since Nate McMillan took over. They have all these nice pieces surrounding Trey Young, and Trey Young is as, I mean, dare I say he's been Steph-like in these playoffs. Oh, definitely. And the gap between him and Luka and that conversation shrinks literally by the yeah. day with these I mean, kind Luke, of performances. People forget that Luka's big. Like he's he's a freak of nature. Yeah, Yeah. like he's. I just Luca and like this is a six foot slight skinny guy. Like, I mean, he's got Steph. He's got a little Iverson, and I'm not afraid of saying either one of that. And that's saying something because I thought a few years ago that maybe he'd just be a scorer on a bad team. One last topic for you: the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah, they've won four in a row. Four in a row for the first time all year after a 3-1 win over the Marlins last night in Buffalo. The pitching was great, Timmy, for the second straight night as Robbie Ray in the bullpen held Miami to just five hits. The Jays had lost five in a row before their big comeback win in Baltimore on Saturday when they scored six runs in the ninth. Do you think that win against Baltimore could have been the start of something special here for the Jays? 
I, I, I hate doing this repeatedly through a 162-game schedule where you keep pointing to points in the season and saying, could that be the end? Could that be the start? Could that be the end? Could that be the start? That said, yes. <laughs> I just, the, this team is young, they're confident, but the bigger thing is they're playing bad teams. They're gaining that confidence. Yeah. They're getting wins again, and the bullpen will get healthier. And as we're about to find out, Mark Shapiro said something on the Fan 590 earlier today that we're going to play you next block that may suggest that help is on its way. So for me, not only are they still in the thick of the American League East despite going through a lot and having a terrible bullpen, but Charlie Montoyo is beginning to trust a couple guys. Mm -hmm. Looks like Tyler Chatwood has found whatever he lost or at least seemingly has. Maybe we'll have to see it against good offensive teams other than Baltimore and Miami. But, big but, more butts than an ashtray. The team's good And if they get help in the bullpen, they're really good. And I've been saying that for a long time, and I truly believe it. I just don't like the, it's 162, it's the marathon, it's not the sprint. Let's not do this roller coaster thing. I I We know what they are. I agree. They are who we thought they were. I think, Timmy, I think this division is not as good or as difficult as people are saying. The Rays were a wagon for a while there but they lost seven in a row before winning last night yeah. so everyone in the al east out. yeah like, everyone's kind of come dip back down to earth a little bit and the jays are doing what they are supposed to do and that's beat up on bad teams and they might start finding themselves just moving a little bit up in the ladder on the al east there as these games go by so as i'm sorting through your match games and yeah. keeping coming the habs playoff run is more unlikely than blank more unlikely than blank i'm seeing a couple updates one of them uh, George Springer has the night off in Buffalo against ba- Baltimore tonight, Lidlifter of a four-game series, and also Vladimir Guerrero Jr. will DH as Joe Panic plays every position on planet Earth. He'll bat eighth and play first. Charlie Montoya has told the media that, according to Hazel May, this is, uh, Springer is, quote, 100% healthy. The difference is he's not 100% built up. He is available off the bench tonight. So So day off after a trip from Miami to Buffalo. Got it good and since you understood, though I'm a little skeptical. That's just me. (laughs) Still to come, we'll head to Montreal a few times. Tee up game six between the Habs and Golden Knights. That's right, we're taking you all the way to 7.30 Eastern time. Kelly Rudy, Justin Bourne. Up next, Shai Davidi in studio to talk some Jays. Have they turned a corner or are they just beating up on bad teams? Or both. Tim and friends, big day. It's game day. You're on the network. Nick Suzuki says good night. One win away from the Stanley Cup final. And now turned over. Bavaria scores. Overtime winner. We're going to Tampa for game seven. That building coming in overtime was smelling like cigarettes and now it smells like beers i mean that that place is going crazy oh my goodness oh, oh no he did with a little shake no, of the shoulder no, he hits the three ice water in his veins i had a lot of time i had a lot of time and um knocked it down
Welcome back to Tim and Friends. The Jays have won four straight after losing five in a row. And now welcome the lowly Orioles in for a four-game series in Buffalo, Blue Jays Central. Coming up 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific, ahead of the game. Sportsnet 1, Sportsnet Now. Meantime, Jays President Mark Shapiro was on leadoff on Sportsnet 590 The Fan this morning and had this to say on adding pieces to help his team make a playoff push this season. If I could show you the notes and the conversations that Ross and our staff are having day to day, it's just the understanding that we're in June and the, the trade market, you know, again, looking back historically, there aren't a lot of trades, um, very, very few that happen now. And if they do happen now, the premium and price paid is extremely high. So um, those conversations are being had. They'll end up being the roots of the deals that we will make between now and July 30th. And, you know, we will ultimately improve the team, run prevention, as Ross has said multiple times. You know, some of that improvement can come from within. It's us learning how to win tight and late ball games. It's us playing better defense. Um, it's us getting healthier. And some of that will come from externally, as, as I'm very confident we will add, you know, pieces that help us win. Okay, interesting and just makes some sense. Joining me now to discuss the Jays after their four-game winning streak, and that quote is Jays insider and friend, Shai Davidi. What's going on, Shai? Not too much, Timmy. What do we got? I, I mean, that that was interesting, but I also think that he had to say that. Like, I think the fan base was growing a little impatient and had some bullpen fatigue, dare I say. Well, I mean, I can't imagine why. <laughs> uh, I think there's two, there's two audiences for that, right? Yeah. There's obviously the audience, which is the fan base, and, you know, making sure that they understand that. But I do think it's also a little bit to players as well and letting them know, yeah, this is where our heads are at and that we do intend to add. Uh, and I think if you look at where they're at organizationally, there are, they've got some, they've got an area where they've got a deal from. You know, they've got some surplus that's going to come up on their 40-man roster, guys who are going to be eligible for the Rule 5 draft. They're not going to be able to get all those guys onto the 40-man roster and protect them. So I think we'll see them trade from some of that group of players. That's the uh, Kevin Smith of the world. Right. Um, you know, that Ilka player, Samad Taylor at Double A, is a really interesting guy who's really going off at New Hampshire. He's somebody, is, is he breaking into your 40-man roster? Is he moving ahead of some of the other infielders? Uh, I think that's where they've got some capital to deal with. Right. Uh, and I do think that that is the level of prospect we've seen them deal from. And we've seen teams like the Padres in recent years really leverage at this time of year. So... Full disclosure, this company is owned by uh, Rogers, which also owns the Jays. But it feels like there's a bunch of teams making a lot more money than the Toronto Blue Jays. Could that be because of the fact they're playing in Buffalo and because in a lot of states right now, I mean, you're getting full audiences. Could this play a factor in what the Jays are doing for a couple months or a year? Maybe. I, I don't know. I, I Every conversation that I've had with Mark Shapiro about this is that he says the revenue that they're generating uh, in Buffalo during these games is negligible compared to what they would be making if they were in Toronto right. and is really just about creating some revenue, creating some connections. It's not difference making in terms of their bottom line, dramatically shifting their bottom line. And the other thing that he said steadfastly is that, you know, they when they embarked on this process a, a few years ago with signing Ryu and moving forward, that they were going to continue to get the support of ownership in terms of spending and adding money. And this is the next juncture for that. So 
you know, unless there's been some shift in thinking, which I don't believe there has been, uh, the Blue Jays are going to have some resources. Uh, what I do think has changed, Timmy, is that the way the rest of the league has opened up and that there are more teams generating more revenue than they might have projected, say, January, February, March. I wonder if some of the selling clubs may not have the same economic pressure we might have expected them to have beforehand. Right, having to get rid of salaries because they just couldn't afford to pay them with the money coming in. But now all of a sudden with, you know, 35,000 people at games, then they can pay those guys. Exactly. There's not that same economic incentive where, you know, they, they can really hold out for the prospect where before it was the financial relief that would have been the primary goal. So then really there's no excuse. You, you sound sounds like they've got the money, the resources money-wise and they've got the resources in their farm system to go out and get help. Yeah. I, mean, I think the, the, the other thing I thought that was interesting to hear Mark say in that clip uh, is you know, the, the premium that needs to be paid to make a deal right now. And I, I do believe the Blue Jays are trying but aren't finding prices that are palatable right now. And they, they don't want to trade from their top 10 prospects, uh, especially for a reliever, uh, you know, with, you know, relatively limited control and I think that's why we'll see this play out until July you know to, towards the end of July and at that point you know their teams are don't have reason to hold on to those guys anymore you know that there's right. some pressure on the sellers at that point you know right now there's only pressure on the buyers and so prices are going to come down the this tug of war over leverage is going to play and I think if you're the Blue Jays you're counting on a couple things you're counting on the performance of some of your relievers in your bullpen uh, e equalizing or leveling out a little bit. You're counting on some return to health. And then you're also counting uh, on the, you know, this soft spot in your schedule where you've got right. some weaker clubs capitalizing on that to get you through to that period in July. Tread water and then maybe the prices come down and you're able to, to spring on to something. Um, I guess Charlie trusts... Mesa, Chatwood, and Romano. Like, that's where we're at. <laughs> I mean, basically right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and they're the ones who have performed, right? Yeah. You know, there's been a lot of opportunity for a lot of different guys in recent weeks. And, you know, the, they've been the steadiest. And obviously, Chatwood has had the most significant hiccups. And everybody knows what went on there. But I think if you're the Blue Jays, you're looking at the past week and change. And he's been in the strike zone more consistently. Uh, and if he's in the strike zone, he's going to be pretty good. Uh, the, the issue throughout his career, not just during the recent weeks, has been his consistency in the strike zone. And I think that's what frightens you a little bit if you're the Blue Jays. You're like, where is that command? Where is that going? But, you know, he's got a chance to be a factor. Uh, Romano, as long as he's healthy, he's going to be good. And, you know, Meza continues to find himself. So, you know, I think those are the three guys. It's thin. They're going to need more dudes for sure. Right. Uh, if you're going to, especially once you start playing better clubs, uh, that's going to be, that's going to be a prime challenge for the Blue Jays. But, you know, if Barucki is slowly on the, on the mend and, you know, he can, has got a chance to come back, you know, uh, Merriweather, the last I'd heard is maybe early July at some point in, uh, in mid to maybe early to mid July. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's a game changer too, if he can stay on the, uh, stay on the mound. So, yeah. 
but a big if. But, you know, those are two guys who could really reinforce that bullpen and give it a bit of a different look. I'm chuckling here because I'm thinking about, like, obviously Anthony Kay isn't going to go nine innings tonight. <laughs> or if <laughs> you're a remarkable surprise. And you've used those three guys that Charlie trusts in two straight nights. Like, he's got to go somewhere tonight. Well, you know, this is the uh, bat day for the bats to come up big, right? Yeah. <laughs> Take some of the... Yeah. And, and look, you know, they're not... They're not built to consistently win 2-1, 3-1 like they did the last, uh, the last couple of nights. You know, this is a team that is going to pour runs on. And, you know, we remember this from 2015, right? The, it was very familiar then when, you know, the Blue Jays, if they didn't score seven or eight, was going to be tough for them to win a ball game for a stretch of time. Uh, the Blue Jays are in that similar spot. But, you know, again, this when you're not playing, you know, the Rays, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Astros, that ilk of team, you know, you've got a little bit margin for error. And the offense is supposed to provide you that margin for error. And, you know, if they do that, then, you know, they can get through the stretch. Uh, match game trending number three in Canada. Keep them coming at Tim and Friends on Twitter and Instagram. Shai Davidi in studio. And we're discussing the Toronto Blue Jays. So uh, George Springer is not playing today. I, I don't have to read into this, right? Like, I, it's just flight back a couple days in a row. I don't have to read into this. I mean, I, I think for right now, that's what I would read into it. I mean, Charlie okay. Montoya did say if he needs George Springer late in the game, he's available to him. And, you know, I think putting that out there would suggest that everything's all right. Because if there was some sort of concern, you wouldn't send him out there to pinch hit. Well, right? I, I, uh, thought, I uh, thought you wouldn't send him out there to DH, but they did that. Right. But, yeah. Well, I mean, that was, yeah. I, I understand what you're saying. And, look, I think ultimately until he proves it, and has done it for an extended stretch. I think everybody's going to be, you know, waiting for the other shoe to drop. That's just the way that it is. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'm, I don't believe the Blue Jays rushed it this time, right? Like this time they were like, let's go slow. Let's make sure. And this is just, you know, the appropriate level of caution after the guy played back-to-back -back games on some turf. Uh, first games back, 18 innings. For, first time he done it, back-to-back -back 18 innings in a long time. Yeah. Take the gas, uh, take the foot off the pedal. And I'm not right suggesting it. that they did anything wrong. I was just suggesting when the DHing happened, like if he's not playing center field, then he's not 100. percent That right. was back then, and that was clear. And this, right. and this time he is, you know, right, right, right off the bat. And it was the national, league, two national league games, no safety net. And you know, I think that if you're if you're a Blue Jays fan who's nervous, understandably so, because of everything that's happened with this team from an injury perspective, uh, and and years of trauma, uh, <laughs> and years of trauma. Yeah. You know, I think that you can breathe easy for now. But you know, if he's not in the lineup again tomorrow, then antenna up. Um, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but was there any update on Stephen Matz and the COVID list at all? Yeah, so he threw from the bullpen. He's through the protocols at this point. Uh, he was able to throw at the field. If he wasn't through the protocols, he wouldn't have been able to join them on the field. Right. So that's good. I think right now the Blue Jays are looking at the first game of the Mariner series for him to come back. You know, they'll stay on turn through this uh, through this point of the rotation. Uh, and then, you know, all, all should be, all systems go against the Mariners. So was he able to throw it all? Or did he have to sit down? Like, was he just throwing against the wall in his house like uh, my son does every once in a while? And I have to yell down in the basement and go, stop! <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not sure what the, what the exact stuff. But I understand he was throwing into a net, maybe inside, probably outside, you would think. Uh, but, you know, one of the, when he got 
COVID in Boston, uh, you know, the, the protocol, every team has to set up a plan for how to get a player from the road cities back to right. their home cities. So, yeah, he went in uh, a COVID car, I guess, <laughs> for lack of a better way to put it, uh, got a lift back to Buffalo, and then he was able to continue throwing into a net. The Jays got him some equipment similar to the way they did when right. Teoscar Hernandez had COVID-19. All right, so uh, going into this Baltimore series, obviously uh, it seems like they need the bats to awaken a little bit just to give them some help. But when we're talking about all these things, I feel like we're almost putting a downer on all of the conversations surrounding Springer and whether or not they're going to get help. Like what we have seen from this team pretty consistently offensively is remarkably impressive. Mm-hmm. Vladdy goes and gets a little bit of break with a DH. And I mean, I was hearing... Dan Schulman last night talking about like just doesn't want a day off. So apparently they convinced him, maybe not the day off, but just DH for this one. Yeah, I mean that's what it's really interesting. You know, uh, he was saying, uh, you know, I asked him what's your goal. This is 162 your goal, and he said, yeah. And he goes, off days for me are when the team has an off day. Yeah. Uh, and if Charlie comes uh, says to me, he's like, I want to give you a day off. I say to him, I do get days off, and that's when the schedule dictates them. So uh, I think that's a good mentality. You love you love to see it if you're a fan. And, you know, I think the DH days are, are just smart management, right? Like, you know, you keep them in the lineup, you keep them playing, uh, and then you lighten his load for 24 hours. So mm-hmm. I think that makes sense. And I think this is where not having the dedicated DH really pays off, right? Because you can use that on occasion for George Springer. You know, Bobachet's gotten some DH days. Simeon's had some DH days. You know, you rotate them around, uh, and it's it's... You know, it's great. if you have an Edwin Encarnacion type, great. You know, like right. put him at DH, let him slug away. But, you know, the way that the game is going and the way teams are emphasizing body management or workload management, you know, having a rotating DH, having an extra, an extra good player, and then just moving the DH days around your roster makes a lot of sense. I know uh, watching games is different from afar. Will you have like a spare TV on game six for the Habs and Golden Knights or are you like just zoned in on baseball and what you're watching? Yeah, when I'm writing, I got to zone in, right? Yeah. It's like if, I, if, I'm, if I'm splitting my attention, I'm going to miss something. And it's already hard enough when, you know, the game's not in front of you. So, um, I, you know, but that's what Twitter is for. And, you know, if there's a, there's a good highlight, you can you can shift uh, shift channels for a moment but no i've uh, if I'm, i've got two screens you know one of them is on you know savant the other one's on the baseball game it's not uh, <laughs> there, there's no no split detention on this one uh understood always appreciate when you drop by thanks for doing this pleasure as always all right kids uh match game is roaring right now on the twitter and the instagram uh make sure that you weigh in because next segment we're going to do some montreal canadians had the worst record of any team to make the playoffs and yet here they are one win away from being the first to book their ticket to the Stanley Cup final. Spurt on the match game. We'll do it next. Habs playoff run is more unlikely than blank. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. We talked baseball for a couple of minutes, and all of a sudden the match game goes from number three in Canada on the trends to number seven in Canada on the trends, although uh, Habs 2021 is the number two trend in Canada. I just right refreshed. Now. I got five. So You got five? Yeah. Yeah, yeah we're okay. Just let's get it back up to where it was, three, maybe <laughs> broach two or one. Right. I feel it. Um, I want to get your opinion on something quickly before we get to uh, all the answers, which we will. We have a ton. Uh Scotty Pippen said some things to GQ magazine. Oh. Uh, I'm just going to read off a quote. And he said some things about Kevin Durant. And, and you know, KD is going to 
gonna say something back. So Scotty said, KD, as great as his offense was, he didn't know how to play team basketball. Kept trying to go punch for punch. And this is not just, this is one quote. There were a bunch of different quotes kind of criticizing Kevin Durant's game. Right. Here's what Kevin Durant decided to respond. Didn't the great Scotty Pippen refuse to go in the game for the last second shot because he was in his feelings? His coach drew up the play for a better <laughs> shooter. That's just one. Look at the look at This guy, Scott, also wanted to enjoy his summer, so he chose to rehab during the season. LOL. Scotty Pippen, they followed Phil, not you. Oh, my Standard NBA beef. Are you here for Scotty uh, Pippen, Thursday? Kevin Durant beef? Like, bring it. Everyone's talking about get the popcorn ready. Like, KD is just... He does not care. Who he, was, if you say something about him, he will go after you on Twitter. Yeah. Who was on that team, though, that he was supposed to play team basketball with on the Nets? <laughs> I don't have an answer. Right. Nobody. It was basically him against the Bruce Bucks Brown, by the yeah. end of the series. Uh, okay. Let's read some <laughs> match games. I, I just hold on. Let me, let me just you. stop for one second and say... Like, Kevin Durant feels no ways. Like, yeah. if you're going to say something about Kevin Durant, make sure you've minded your P's and Q's and have the next five tweets ready totally. in the holster because he's the coming drafts. after you. In oh, the yeah. drafts. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't care who you are. He'll no. come after you. Uh, the Habs playoff run is more unlikely than that was the question. Nice. That was the match game. Let's start with a couple Instagrams, Timmy. Instagram right. responses. The Habs playoff run is more unlikely than Tim growing his hair out. That's just low-hanging fruit again. Yeah, I saw a couple of combs. Uh, Tim growing his hair out. I so get it. Rude. I understand it. But Maddie, come better than yeah, that. Yeah, that's All just right. rude, Maddie. Actually, we have to do one of those every time, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm bald. I get it. <laughs> the we Habs playoff it. run is more unlikely than Corey Perry becoming likable. Didn't that happen? Yeah. It almost, I think it's happening, Frank. I, I agree. I think Corey Perry has now become likable because he's almost like this big brother figure to these, like the Caulfields and the Suzukis. And he's playing pretty good hockey, too. So Corey yeah, Perry might actually unlikely, be likable yeah. now. The Habs playoff run is more unlikely than Gary Bettman getting cheers for you know what when he's handing out the Stanley Cup. Yep, That's not going to happen. Jace, you got that one. Yeah, that is absolutely not going to happen. The Habs playoff run is more unlikely than a hockey team from Las Vegas making it to the Cup Finals in their first year of existence, says Jay Weiner. Wait a second, that happened. Yeah. So this might happen too. Uh, Eddie writes in. Can I give you one? Yeah, go for it. Uh, from my computer, uh, Maddie. Eddie writes in and says, more unlikely than Chris Lee calling a penalty. Yeah. Yep. Tyler writes in and says, more unlikely than Brian Burke actually tying his tie. And then shows a picture of Brian Burke actually yeah. tying his tie. Yeah, that'll never happen. Never happen on TV, at least. <laughs> Maybe he does it when he's not on TV, but not on TV. Uh, the Habs playoff run is more unlikely than... Cristiano Ronaldo drinking Coca-Cola. Yeah, that's not happening. <laughs> he should do, and listen, he makes enough money, but if he did a Coca-Cola commercial, yes. my God, would they pay a lot of money for no, him no. to do that he, now. You, were, you, you should have stopped it. He has enough money. <laughs> yeah. He has more have than Have you heard money. what like his Instagram posts are worth? Well, what is he? He's, he's the most followed athlete or like person in on Instagram. Yeah. Is he not? I'm going to look it up. It's ridiculous. Okay. I don't want to get it wrong. I'll go but through a couple while you're doing it. Yeah. Okay. The Habs playoff run is more unlikely than Ken Reed not showing up with his trophy, <laughs> says Sandra. I won a thing once. Pucks in deep. <laughs> Great meme. Yeah, that's Very pretty good. good, yeah. Thanks, Sandra. Very good. Uh, the Habs playoff run is more unlikely than Ben Simmons being confident to score a basket in the playoffs. Oh, snap. That's another way. Very unlikely. Man, 
pretty good. Yeah. They should be given more than just the Barrington Levy. You have your Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, he makes a million dollars per post. What? On Instagram. Per post? Per post. According to Forbes, uh, you can take my computer if you want, Maddie. Uh, according to Forbes, Ronaldo earns nearly $1 million per paid post on Instagram and has the second highest income from Instagram Instagram related revenue at $23.3 million on Instagram. So he plays soccer for the love of the game. Do, have you seen his cars? I don't want to. It'll just make me upset. Like, is if is is Ronaldo the one athlete whose life everyone would assume? Yes, except he doesn't drink Coke. I think a lot of people would have a problem with that. <laughs> well, that's how, that's how you keep the body fresh that's and clean right. like that. Yeah, 36 years old, looking... Uh, 36 years old, rip, great athlete. Yeah. I'm sure he probably did pretty well with the ladies when he wanted to do pretty well with the ladies. Yeah. Like, no makes a million dollars per paid post. You got any more before we get to the yeah, commercial break? I, I do, yeah. Because I got to get off this Ronaldo a million bucks per... <laughs> the, the Habs playoff run is more unlikely than Lino says... Tim looking good in a beard. Bro, give it up. You don't look good with a beard. Oh, my goodness. That is just... The internet disagreed with you yesterday. Just my insulting. mom agrees with you, but the internet disagreed with you yesterday. The Habs playoff run is just more lazy. unlikely than... Eric says more unlikely than a alley-oop with 0.8 seconds left in a game. That Some happens. of these happen, you guys. And yeah, I guess the Montreal happens. Canadiens may happen. Yeah. We are about to find <laughs> Maybe that's out. the point. Time for a break. We go full pregame mode on the other side. Eric Angles, Justin Bourne, Kelly Rudy, and my beard. Habs have a chance, or scruff, whatever it is. <laughs> Habs have a chance to morph this great run to among the greatest runs of all time. This is where reputations are built. It's the Stanley Cup playoffs, and it's on Sportsnet. Sheepdogs, we roll on on this edition of Tim and Friends. Another hour on Sportsnet 360, Sportsnet 590, The Fan in Toronto. 90 minutes on Sportsnet and Sportsnet Now as we take you all the way up to Hockey Central. Hand it off to Ron McLean and the crew. 7.30 Eastern time. Tons of pregame coverage on the way as we visit with Eric Angles and Sean Reynolds in Montreal. Plus, Justin Bourne in studio. Kelly Rudy will join us as well ahead of Game 6 as the Habs try and book their ticket to the Stanley Cup final. It appears that Vegas is going back to Robin Leonard and in net as he had the starters net at the morning skate. Peter DeBoer would not confirm because that's what Peter DeBoer does. But he did have this to say about his goalie this morning. I, I mean, there's no, there's no sugarcoating the importance of goaltending when you look uh around the league and at the series and at the teams that are still left standing so but it's definitely not all on goaltending we can't we can't expect whoever we play tonight to stand on his head and stop 50 here but uh you know we uh if, if price is better than significantly better than our guy you know it, it's going to be hard to win 
As we mentioned off the top, it is a holiday in Quebec, St. Jean-Baptiste Day. So the party atmosphere should be electric as we approach game time. So let's head to Montreal for the first time and check in with Sean Reynolds, who is among the people. Sean, it appears as though there's a bit of a vibe in downtown Montreal. Yeah, Tim, I don't know if you can hear me, but it is a step up. They are losing their minds here. They are beyond themselves. They got the flags out. They got the big Stanley Cup zone. Ole, ole, ole is being sung. They're losing their minds here. And of course, it's a national holiday here in Quebec. They've been at this for a while. I was walking over, and if you saw me last round, there were guys with the brooms when they swept the Winnipeg Jets. He pulled over. He saw me. He brought me down over here. He said, hey, my buddies, they've been here for three hours already. So they, this party started early. Everyone's hoping it goes very, very late. It's interesting because if and when Montreal gets a lead, you get the feeling like that area around you is just going to get more and more crowded. Yeah. I mean, if you're seeing it now, I can't imagine what it's going to be like if or when the Montreal Canadiens score that first goal. We've seen the videos of all these people losing their minds watching the game as it's going on. You know, they can't do it on the building. They're getting it done out here in the streets. Uh, any kind of goals, a victory, I can't imagine what it's going to be like outside this building. What I find very ironic is that there's still socially distanced patios out there. And yeah. behind the patios, <laughs> yeah. there's like just crowds of yeah. people behind. Like, what's the point now? Yeah, yeah no, I know. I, you're in amongst the people here. I don't yeah. know if you saw Scott Oak in Winnipeg a couple of years ago amongst the crowd. I don't think we've got much of a choice here. You need to put up some like brick walls or barriers if you're going to keep them away. So I know you've made the trip down from Winnipeg. Have you have you made any friends along the way? Well, like I said, the guys who were in the first round, uh, they had the brooms out for the sweep against Winnipeg. I, when I left, they were getting a hold of me on Twitter and saying, we'd love to have you back. They think I'm a good luck charm or something like that. So, yeah, there's people, they'll see you, they recognize you. A lot of the people are coming around. They recognize the personalities. You're kind of blending into the crowd here. They're adopting everyone. Everyone's part of the celebration. And you get the sense they just don't want this celebration to stop. Buddy, my, my, my boy Ludovic Stremler is over your right shoulder. Uh, is, does he swear is he? to God today, or are we afraid to put him on microphone? my guy right here? Yeah. Right here? Come on. Come on over here. They, they want your breakdown of the series today. Huh? Uh, breakdown, man. I think we're going to play hard. I think Brendan Gallagher is going to go, score the first goal. And I think we're going to win 4-0. Bon Saint-Jean-Baptiste. Where's your tagline? My tagline? Your tagline. <laughs> Swear to God. I thought he knew what he was famous for. There you go. You teed him up for it. He's a game. hero. You got it. All he's got to do is say, swear to God, the crowd goes crazy. Uh, Sean Reynolds among the people in La Belle Province. Merci beaucoup, mon ami. Messi. There is Sean Reynolds. That is absolutely awesome. Our boy Ludwig just walks in. Didn't even know. He says, swear to God, crowd goes crazy. Love it. All right. Uh, we may get back down there a little later on. Uh, no update today on Nikita Kucherov's status for Game 7 between the Lightning and Islanders. Kucherov eventually left last night's Game 6 after a cross-check from Scott Mayfield. And he got stood up a little later, did not return. There is no penalty on the play. There will be no supplemental discipline for Mayfield, which shows him he'll never do that again.
Kucherov leads the playoffs in scoring after missing the entire regular season, recovering from hip surgery. Game 7 goes tomorrow night on Sportsnet and CBC. By the way, that was sarcasm. Seattle Kraken have a head coach. His name is Dave Hackstall. That is the first ever head coach. He was an assistant with the Leafs for the past two seasons and has obviously head coaching experience with the Philadelphia Flyers. Kraken start play as the NHL's 32nd team next season with the expansion draft coming up on July 21st. Release the Kraken! All right, it's Dave Haxtell. That's their head coach. Time to go back to Montreal. I don't know if they're allowing Ludwig into the arena or the bowl for the game. Someone's got to get my guy tickets. Either way, I don't think that he'll be dropping in on our conversation with Eric Engels, who joins us now. Engels, I don't know if you caught it, but Sean Reynolds is quickly becoming a, 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 an adopted son of Montreal. First of all, that was absolutely hysterical <laughs> to have that just going on in my earpiece and just the visual of it. It was just unbelievable. And that crowd, I got to tell you guys, I drove into the Bell Center on the other side of where Sean is, and they have a filed line across both sides of the Bell Center and across that street there on St. Antoine where the players go into the garage and it is electric. It is an unbelievable atmosphere for this game and it deserves to be. I mean, this is just tremendous. It's uh, La Fête Nationale here in Quebec and the Canadians have never played on this day and it, it, I just think this is awesome. Yeah, playing on this day and if they were to win, that party is going to get absolutely crazy in downtown Montreal. All right, so... A lot of talk going into this game about who will start in net for the Las Vegas or the Vegas Golden Knights. And what I find interesting about it is a lot of people are saying this is gamesmanship. You know the Montreal Canadiens as well as anyone on planet Earth. Do they care? Does it affect them whether or not it's Leonard or Fleury in their preparation for this all-important game? I don't think they care at all. They're completely focused on their own style, and they should be because it's been suffocating. It is absolutely the reason they are in this position right now and that they have this template. They're not searching for one. It's it's such a crucial thing at this time of year to have no question marks. You know, I was doing an exercise the other day looking up and down the Canadians' lineup, trying to find a guy who maybe, I don't know, would you take this guy out and put someone else in? You can't find one. Everyone has their role so clearly identified. Everyone is playing the same way. And when Luke Richardson the other day talked about the fact that they are backtracking even harder than they are attacking, that is what is frustrating the Golden Knights so much. It's not enabling them to play puck possession. It is not enabling them to establish a forecheck. And Carey Price is a factor in that, too, because he's such a great puck handler. If you don't put the puck in the right position, it makes it tough. And, you, you know, whether it's Marc-Andre Fleury or Robin Leonard, it's not going to change the way the Canadians play the game and how they approach it or how they even try to score. So I think they have their template, and that's what they're focused on right now. For years, Habs fans were pissed because they felt like they never got a number one center. And they went out and got Jonathan Drouin and immediately said he's going to play center for this team. And now you look at this squad and listen, Philippe Deneau is listed as the number one center. That line hasn't exactly lit it up when it comes to offense, but defensively we've seen them do an unbelievable job. But as I look down the middle of that lineup and I see Suzuki and I see Kotkaniemi, are those two turning into those kind of top-line centers that Montreal's been looking for for years? Definitely, and I would definitely agree with you, and that's what Mark Bergevin said out of the bubble, and it certainly looked that way. They both 
both been through their ups and downs since, but you look at what they've done in the playoffs over two years. These kids are big game players, but you know what? They can't be who they are without Philip Deneau taking care of that yeah. defensive assignment. And you look at Deneau since game four of the Toronto series, he's been on the ice for two even strength goals against. You know how good that is when he's playing against guys like Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and Mark Shifley and all the Winnipeg Stars and this Vegas Golden Knights, Vegas Golden Knights team that is among the most offensively prolific teams. And we shouldn't leave out Eric Stahl because this guy I thought was dead in the water in during the regular season, brutal time in Buffalo, figured, okay, he's going to come out of there. Maybe it was just a Buffalo thing. And he came to Montreal and had three points and then 21 games here and just looked like he was going to be a complete non-factor. Well, he is turning the clock back and it's all about what they have within those four guys. Jake Evans has been excellent at center for this team to the point where given the depth that they have there, now all of a sudden he's on the wing. They have not had this kind of dynamic up the middle in a long time and I think it's one of the biggest things that they're beating the Golden Knights at. They are beating them in the middle of the ice with these four guys. Yeah, and rolling four lines at them and getting contributions from each of those four lines. It's it's almost funny when you think of the perspective, and obviously when you're winning, that masks a lot, and when you're winning, no one cares a lot. But if you gathered the three guys on the top line right now and you added up all the points, Gallagher, Deneau, and Lekkinen, they have nine points on their entire playoff series. The Leafs, Mitch Marner, and Austin Matthews got absolutely roasted because they had nine points in seven games against the Montreal Canadiens. Like, it's just all of the pieces of this pie going together, Eric, is what makes this team special. And to me, it's, it's almost unbelievable how every piece, we haven't even brought up a, a top four that is as good as anyone in the NHL. Like, every piece of this team has given a little bit to get them to where they are right now. Yeah, and that's what it is. It's the ultimate team sport. You know, yeah. in football, you'll bet the quarterback. In basketball, you'll bet the favorite. In baseball, you'll bet the pitcher. You know, in hockey, it's a crapshoot, and it's the ultimate team sport. And when you have a team playing as united as the Canadians are, it's more than a 50-50 proposition. They can beat the most skilled team or, you know, and, and again, you contrast Marner and Gallagher, like, Take a look at Brendan Gallagher's face if you get a chance to look at the close-ups right now. He's doing everything it takes to sacrifice and win in the playoffs. And I think there's a lot of guys around the league that have to be watching this Canadiens team and saying, this is, this is what it takes. And these guys completely deserve to be here. They've been counted out by everyone. They've been underestimated by everyone. They completely deserve to be where they are. And it's yeah. all because they are a completely united team within their system and their structure. And everyone is doing their job. Yeah, you might have been able to say that Carey Price stole them a series early or they they don't beat the Toronto Maple Leafs without having Carey Price in that. But since then, they have been full marks for everything. Since 2015, they're 18-0 when they get three or more goals for Carey Price. This year, they're unbeaten when they get two or more goals for Carey Price. What's the most impressive part of Carey Price's game? It's just how calm he is and how cerebral he is and the fact that he has better anticipation skills than 95 or 98% of the goaltenders in the National Hockey League, but he doesn't rely on them. He relies on his patience because his structure, the way he plays, his ability to um, not only track the puck, but but have the confidence within his own style and within his own fundamentals that he's not going to guess as to where the puck is going to go. He's going to make sure he's square and let the puck come to him. And the calmness that he exhibits under the most pressure 
is it's contagious throughout the lineup and his leadership has been undersold throughout the years everyone has dissected his body language and his quiet and calm demeanor with the media and not really saying much or doing much but you have to start listening to his teammates about what they say about his leadership and I think the pivotal moment in this playoff run goes back to the Toronto series where the Canadians weren't scoring goals it was an old story and he's asked how frustrated he is to constantly be putting up the performances he has in the playoffs since 2015 and not getting the run support he said, I'm not frustrated at all. I completely believe in these guys, believe they're going to score. And you listen to the other players and what that meant to them, it meant a lot. Eric Engel is joining us from the Bell Centre in Montreal ahead of Game 6 between the Knights and the Habs. So Dom Ducharme misses his fourth straight game tonight. When do you think not having your head coach starts playing a factor? And how do we think we may see that or will we see it at all? I don't think it does play a factor because of the veteran leadership of the Canadians. And I think I asked Luke Richardson about this just a, a day or two ago about how how satisfying is it, is it as a coach when you have your message, but it's the players who have taken over the bench. They essentially are the ones feeding the message through and you're just kind of repeating yourself just the key points, the, the bullet points. And he said it's, it's not because we're lazy, but it really is fun to lay back and watch that dynamic happen. It means that everyone is completely bought in. And Ducharme deserves so much credit for the system that he has installed and the belief that he has created. But these veterans on this group are you know, go down the list. You, I don't have to name every single one of them. Read them on paper. These guys are some of the legends of the game in terms of what they've accomplished in their careers. Mark Bergevin said he didn't bring in Stanley Cup winners by accident over the offseason and at the trade deadline. And you look at Luke Richardson and his whole experience, his calm demeanor, the way he is. He's such a respectful, smart guy. And Ben Sherratt said they'd go through a wall for him. So, you know, put it all together. I, I don't think it's a factor, Tim. Yeah, it's an unbelievable Luke Richardson story is an unbelievable story, and it's matching that of the Habs this year. Uh, what has been a great run could turn into a run for all time. Uh, Eric Angles, appreciate you doing this. Enjoy the game tonight. My pleasure. You too, guys. Uh, no Deanne Bebo. What happened? We went an entire Angles hit without Deanne Bebo. Must be a little too early for Deanne. Uh, maybe we'll hear some of those uh, wonderful tickling of the ivories from D'Ambuo a little later on. After the break, uh, fast becoming a Tim and Friends staple, Justin Bourne joins me in studio. May have already been in studio for that entire segment. You'll never know, or I just told you. We'll get his take on the Vegas goalie carousel, plus last night's OT magic from the Islanders. Tim and Friends, back after these. That's awesome. That's how the OT winners sounded in game three and four on the ice in Montreal. Will we get another OT game tonight? Memories of 93. Ten overtime wins en route to their cup in 93. The comparisons from this team to that team have been well documented. Here's acting head coach Luke Richardson. Yeah, we're not really talking too far ahead. Uh, I think we're really focused on tonight. The guys have great energy on the ice this morning and in the meetings. And, um, you know, I think you, you get on a roll in the playoffs. Uh, you know, I'm, I, I, you, you can't help but hear the excitement around and, and you know the history of the franchise and, 
uh, you know, the comparisons maybe to the 93 run, but uh, really once you get focused on game day and our meetings, it's all about, uh, you know, getting ready to play the golden Knights and, and getting ourselves ready to play our style of game. And I think that's the focus. And uh, we have a great group right now, um, really focused in on that. So there's Luke Richardson, another game day here on Tim and friends game six Habs golden Knights, which means more Justin Bourne. He joins me in studio today. No different. It seems like every time we have game day here on the show, Justin Bourne in studio. Thank you for doing this. Yeah, it's great. I really like uh, being humiliated by picking against the Habs, then being brought back to Toronto <laughs> and face my shame every, every other day. I asked, uh, <laughs> I asked a lot of people picked against the Habs. Don't worry about yeah. it. Uh, I asked Eric Engels about Dom Ducharme. And he seemed to kind of downplay not having the head coach there. And in my head, I'm thinking, like, you control who goes out on power plays. You control who goes out shift to shift to shift. And obviously, they're rolling four lines, and that's part of what's made them successful. But Luke Richardson's done a masterful. They've played some of their best hockey all year with their head coach sitting at home. You know, I think in a way, it forces you to stay within your game plan before the game. Like Ducharme would say to Richardson and to the team, you know, here's what we want to do. They've discussed it. They laid out a plan. And I think what happens in games sometimes is things don't go exactly to your plan. And then you deviate from what the original plan was. And all of a sudden, you're papering over problems. Like, once Richardson's the guy and he has his marching orders, they're going to stick to the damn plan, you know? So I think it's effective in a way uh, to just kind of keep them focused. He's not going to go off script because he's been told what to do. Okay, so they're 10-2 and since going down. Like 10 wins, two losses since going down 3-1 to the Toronto Maple Leafs. And in my head, I'm like, ah, that's got to build confidence, Justin Bourne. (laughs) But, like, there's more to it, right? Is there not, like, whatever clicked in their mind, and maybe you can describe what you think it is, like, what the hell's happened that made not only them believe, but Montreal believe, and then all those who have picked against them? I mean, I feel like the last two games have turned. Like, they've dominated yeah. Las Vegas. You know, I'm a big believer in, like, the snowball theory, whether it's positive energy or negative energy in hockey. Like, it, it just, once it gets moving in one direction, I picture it at the top of a mountain, there's a good side and a bad side. Whichever side you push it down, mm. I, it tends to keep going that way. And for the Habs, it was almost like playoffs was a fresh start for them. Uh, they got to get rid of some of the stuff in the season that they didn't like that wasn't going well and, and push it down the right side of the hill. And then, yes, they, they went down 3-1, but they got some good vibes going against the Leafs, win a couple in OT, and all of a sudden, Uh, they really got some momentum going. And why I believe that happens is because you start to trust one another, so you do just your own job. You look after yourself. You don't feel like you have to, you know, do someone else's because you don't trust them. Uh, Guys stay in their positions better, and it just feeds on itself, and you create this sort of beast that is exactly what Mark Bergevin saw before the season. A bunch of playoff performers, veteran guys, reliable players, you know, with not a ton of holes. You know, maybe not a ton of elite guys, but not a right. ton of holes. But that's the thing, and I keep bringing up this perspective. Like, I I sit here and I, I read people's tweets, and they just want to smash people because that's what you do there is you go out and you complain about something. And when I found that Marner Matthews stat where they had nine points in that opening round series, they get absolutely roasted in Toronto. People are talking about maybe they should make a trade. And then I look at the Habs top line and obviously they do other things. But at this point in the playoffs, we're in game six of the Stanley Cup semifinals and they have a total of nine points. Three guys, Lekkonen, Deno and Gallagher. What it does to me is speak to 
every piece of this lineup contributing. And you can say that, and it seems like horse bleep at the start of a playoff. Right. And that's not horse bleep when it comes to this team. No, no, you're right. I, I was just looking at that lineup, and it's, you know, I heard Engel say too, you know, like, hey, who would you take out for someone else? No one. You look at the bottom line, you know, Joel, Yoel Armia has looked fantastic in that spot and, and all the way through. It is fascinating. So this comes down to, I think, before series and like March Madness, coaches are always jockeying to be the underdog. You want to take the pressure off your team so that when things don't go as planned, they stick with it a bit and not feel like uh, the pressure's on them. And that's what's happening to Vegas. You see Mark Stone, the pressure's on them. It's not working. They're forcing it. It's getting worse. Montreal's been the underdog all the way through. So, yeah, they're not scoring goals, but they're not expected to. You're supposed to score on us. Right. We're stopping you from scoring. So, like, <laughs> you know, we're, was Philip Deneau supposed to get a goal? Maybe he'd feel some heat, but no one's asking him to. So the way the pressure has fallen on these guys has worked to Montreal's advantage. My guy's eating pizza after every series. Yeah. Like, what do you need a goal for? Yeah. <laughs> Shutting down everybody. We win games, I eat pizza. It's another day. What are <laughs> yeah. you doing? Yeah, give me a wheel. We're good to go. Yeah. Uh, do you think the goaltender for the Vegas Golden Knights will make a difference in this game? The only reason I say yes is because I kind of don't trust Marc-Andre Fleury, and that's the least popular thing I think I've ever said. Like, <laughs> Who doesn't love Marc-Andre Fleury? I love the man. He's hilarious, charming, great goaltender, Hall of Famer. Not saying he's not, but just sometimes in the playoffs, we've seen him have moments where you feel like, well, how did that one go in? And it happened twice this year. I, he, you know, he wasn't to blame for last game, but I just feel like Leonard's the guy who, if they give up 30 shots tonight, he's going to give up two at most. Like, I just trust Robin Leonard. Uh, I trusted Flurry in the regular season, fine, but I trust Leonard tonight. So, yeah, I think it makes a difference, and I think they went with the right guy. You know, it's funny. After last game, Jesse said you couldn't blame Marc-Andre Flurry, and I agree. You couldn't blame him, but I also didn't have a lot of confidence in him. Right. Like, I didn't find that he was the rock that... And, and when you look at Carey Price... It's almost the exact opposite. And he's let in some bad goals. Mm -hmm. Like, if you go back over every goal that's gone past Carey Price, some of them are bad, but they're never at the bad time, Mm -hmm. right? Like, you can point to one and go, ah, that was a bit of a squeaker, but either after that he buckles down or that wasn't all that big of a goal. What's crazy is I think part of the reason for that is that we know Marc-Andre Fleury's human side. He's not afraid to show it, which is cool. Like, we love that. You and I love that. The fans love it. But, like... You know, Price seems like a rock. Like, one squeaks under his arm, he doesn't, there's no emotion, he just stays in his net, he's a robot goalie. Flurry's apologizing to the bench and taking a skate and looking to the heavens and, like, yeah. you know, we feel his emotions more. Yeah. So I think there's the sense that he is human where Price is just a robot in there. I, keep ha- I have had, had this idea, and I've never brought it up to the team. I keep saying, I'm going to bring it up. We need to grab all of the Kyle Bukowskis interviews with Carey Price after the game and just put them together because it's like monotone Carey Price. Yeah. Like, there's no- Guess what game this was after? Game 37 <laughs> yeah. in Buffalo? You can't tell us what it was. No. Game 7 win? No, you can't. You just, you know, they were a good team. And- Put a heart rate monitor yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> Show it on the screen. Yeah, like yeah. when the golfers have it or every exactly. once in a while you see those beats. Yeah. yeah, I'd love to see it because it seems like he has a, a resting heartbeat of just over dead. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever is dead, he's blurry. just over dead. Yeah. yeah, It's unbelievable. You know what? The, the heart rate monitor on the on camera would be unbelievable theater. For for golf, I haven't actually seen that. Is that a thing? Yeah, I've seen yeah, it. Yeah, they tweeted out and Instagram it out after the rounds. They don't usually show it on the telecast, oh, but it be- adds a lot. Like over standing over a five foot putt, yeah. Like, 
with the tournament on the line. Some guys just coming out of your shirt or yeah. something. I'd love that. Uh, you know the Islanders' culture a little bit, uh, mm. having grown up in the Islanders' culture. Last night was a thing, was it not? Oh, man. <laughs> I just got to say, if anyone has anything bad to say about the Islander fans throwing beer cans on the ice, like, get lost. Do you have any human emotion in you? Have you not been a sports fan? Like, them just losing the – yeah, everyone was fine. They, they threw some cans on the ice. It was very Long Island. I loved it. And and even the players, like normally you would think the players would be. We tweeted out Beauvillier yesterday doing his interview from like yeah, inside, yeah. The <laughs> just like hidden inside the... because he knew what was going on. Yeah. It was just, it was an absolute party. And I don't know if they win Game Seven. I don't care if they win Game Seven personally. Either way, they got the proper send-off of Nassau County yes, Coliseum yeah. with the bleep you stamp coast and the beer on the ice, or. You're about to see one of the craziest Stanley Cup final game one or game three that you have ever seen. I got to go. I got to go if that's the case. <laughs> I, You know, for me and my family. Ken, Ken Reed's got a minivan. I don't know if you watched oh, yesterday. Oh, let's but do it. <laughs> Ken Reed's got a minivan. For me and my family. A minivan and a dream. Oh, man. You may, I'm telling you, I would go with Kenny in a heartbeat. <laughs> but, you know, I was a little boy in, like, the family rooms there, you know, back in the day when it wasn't an old dump. And, you know, my mom talks about, you know, being a 21-year-old from Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan in there. Met my wife when my dad uh, got inducted into the Islanders Hall of Fame. My first NHL experience pulling on an NHL jersey was at Nassau Coliseum. Like, that, that building means the world to me. And watching them go out, like, going out on a win would be unbelievable. I'd rather, you know, see the cup finals here. But just that, that wasn't, giving it one more like that, that just meant the world to me. So Bob Boyne and then Clark Gillies is the father-in-law, yeah. too. So, like, right. there is a lot of ties, if you don't know, to that franchise. Um, are they good enough? To see a Stanley Cup final there, I keep. They're good enough to win the cup. I feel like real deal. There's a there's a similar feeling about the Islanders and the Habs, and that is that Vegas is actually a better team, yeah. and Tampa is actually a better team. But lo and behold, here we are, and there is not much to draw from either side. I'm actually glad to get the chance to say this, so because. I do think Vegas is better than Montreal, but I still think Montreal is very good. I think Tampa Bay is better than um, than New York. Right. I like a good distance, but it doesn't mean that the Islanders can't or won't win. I really like the way the Isles are, are built, and you know they're built in a way that can frustrate an opponent that's supposed to be better than them. So is Montreal. Those teams win sometimes. Uh, I would love to. I, I, I just I would love to see the conversation between the officiating crew. And whoever the series supervisor is before that game seven, because yeah. that's enthralling to me. What do you think? More penalty minutes than average? I just, I can't believe that they put Chris Lee on another series and that he was standing right there for what could be as monumental a cross check as you could possibly have, like knocking the leading scorer yeah. of the playoffs out. But that he's there in that game means the league thinks he's better than how many other referees, mm -hmm. right? which I'm not sure what that says about the league or the other or refs. Or if refs were just sitting at home and they had been given the you're done yeah. and they couldn't get anyone else, so they just took Lee off of the Hab series and said, hey, go over there. It's crazy. <laughs> All, right. All right, time for Inside the Lines. Brought to you by Sports Interaction, Canada's odds maker 19+. plus. Please play responsibly. Jesse Rubinoff got us covered. For sports interaction. I'm joining in on the Islander love, Timmy. Why don't we take oh, a look back okay. at what uh, we bet prior to the semifinals?
We had the Islanders to win the series at plus 185. Mm-hmm. Islanders to wow. win game one and win the series. They did win game one. That was plus 400. Montreal win streak to end at seven games. That cashed with Vegas's game one victory. And Vegas to win game one and win the series at minus 189. Now let's take a look so at the new the, bets. All those are still alive. All of those wow. are still alive. And you've alive. already Correct. cashed. We have cashed Montreal to win, uh, win streak to end at seven. It's really you, but <laughs> no. I, we'll, we'll take no, it's it. it's Tim and Friends. It's a Tim and Friends account. Uh, so the new bets are as follows. Vegas to win game six at minus 135. I still think... If they can get the job done, I like this number because they're creeping pretty close to even. Still amazing that they're favored, though. Yeah, honestly, it, it is. It is. But as Justin alluded to, like technically they are skill-wise the better team. It hasn't proven itself out in the series yet. <laughs> but when you're looking at it from an odds perspective, the minus 135 looks good. Uh, Vegas first team to score minus 132. Now, the reason I like this is because it's literally their only chance to win. The Habs don't trail in the playoffs. They've trailed for 17% of the playoffs. In for a nickel. So Exactly. So if the Golden Knights are going to win, I like them to score first. Let's go to the Islanders game seven. Have them. We're going to double down on the Islanders. We have them a couple bets. Justin, hoping you like that one based on what you said previously about the Isles. Plus 142. And that number could go down. In fact, if Kucherov news comes out that he's not going to play. So I got that number there. And the Islanders to win by two goals exactly at plus 900. Here's how I drew this one out of my mind, okay? Because you always have to. This is like a little artistry. The game script. This is a little artistry. So it's not going to be a blowout. They lost 8 nothing in their last game in Tampa, the Islanders did. They're going to win a close game. The the Lightning are going to have to pull the goalie. The Islanders are going to put it in the empty net. They're going to win by two. We're going to hit the 9-1. to We're going to win all these bets on the board. And the Tim and Friends account is going to be flush. I, I cannot disagree with you because the last board... Is all still That's unbelievable for now. That is very good for now. Uh, Rubinoff sticking around, Bourne sticking around. It has been a playoff of comebacks for Vegas. The Golden Knights came back against the Wild. They faced an 0-2 deficit against the Avalanche and won four straight. Now pushed to the brink of elimination. They'll have to do it again against Carey Price and the Habs. Speaking of goalies, we'll continue our tee up with Kelly Rudy next on Tim and Friends. Yo, 2,500 will feel like 25,000, I swear to God. Go Habs, go! Go Habs, go! It's been a long time since we've heard the roar of a live crowd. And we're excited to have you here with us tonight. What a great sound to hear, isn't it? The sound of fans, and they've been on their feet. Only 3,500 fans will be in the building tonight, but there might be 350,000 around the building right now. It'll be electric as the Habs try and reach their first cup final since 1993. And we all know what happened. That guy's brave. Or he's just a friend and they set it up for social media. Obviously, you can feel it, uh, feel the buzz just uh, being around here. Um, the excitement, uh, especially when we show up to games and and the fans being outside and after games, the fans being there, it's, uh, there's definitely a buzz, uh, buzz around the city. Yeah, I mean, you definitely see it with the, uh, the flags and stuff in the cars, but I uh, can't really do a whole lot anyway. So, um, 
we're just we're focused on playing and and like I said, we're having fun. Shea Weber, Tyler Toffoli, Justin Bourne, Tim McAuliffe, and we bring in Kelly Rudy from the home office in Calgary. Kelly, thanks a lot for doing this. Yeah, my pleasure. Nice to see you guys. I I, I understand that you guys kind of sort of know each other. <laughs> <laughs> Our memories go back uh, to my first year, 1983, meeting uh, the Bourne family, uh, Justin's mom and dad, Bob and Janice, and you know, I remember uh, Justin being around and, and stuff. So, yeah, very good memories, Justin. Great to see you. Yeah, you too. Uh, we were chatting at the break there. I was just telling Tim, I, one of my first memories on earth is scoring on Kelly Rudy. Uh, I was about four years old or something <laughs> like that. So um, pr pretty cool experiences, and uh, it's been nice to get to know Kelly in the, in the media world after. If I, if I can interrupt, Justin, yeah. you're not the only person. There's about 4,000 or 45,000 guys that scored on me, and I made a lot of people rich in the NHL, I can tell you that. Uh, we were just kind of reminiscing about Long Island, and before we get into game six between the Habs and the Golden Knights, uh, Justin knows it well, you know it well. If indeed that was the last game, what a fitting way to go out. And man, if they win game seven and get a Stanley Cup final in that barn, I mean, we might have to lock down Long Island. It's a crazy building, right? We saw it last night. In fact, after the overtime uh, winning goal, we were on camera, and I remember looking at the shots from inside the building, and it brought a big smile to my face, right? Because I have so many great memories of that building and that team and uh, being on Long Island and the people there and getting to know them in our neighborhood where we lived and stuff. So it, it was just really heartwarming to see it. And it brought back a lot of really cool memories of that building because, by the way, that building at some point it became really run down. But now that they've renovated, it is just absolutely gorgeous. I was back there for the first time, I think, about two years ago with the Flames, and it was stunning to see how beautiful it, it is now. Kelly, tell us about Nassau Coliseum when you were there. I just can't picture it as ever, uh, and, you know, sorry, Long Island fans, not a dump. Uh, <laughs> when it was new, was it? did it feel like a good building in the league at one point when you were there? Absolutely. It was really nice at one point, and then over the years it uh, sort of <laughs> became a little bit run down. But that was kind of, to a certain degree, the charm of it because of the history, right? The four Stanley Cups and going to the fifth uh, and losing to Edmonton. It just... It was a unique building um, and with unique fans because I think all the tri-state area fans are just a little bit different. You know, Manhattan and MSG, their fans are, uh, you know, in their own kind of way a little bit crazy. And I, I remember the ruthless things they used to say to us and warm up. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't imagine saying that to another human being. And yet <laughs> our fans were just as uh, rowdy on Long Island. Uh, Kelly Rudy joining us from his uh, home office. So let's get to the Habs and the Golden Knights. And obviously the big story is around who will start in goal for the Golden Knights. Peter DeBoer won't say, but it appears as though Robin Leonard uh, in the uh, the starters net, first off the ice. Uh, do you think it's Leonard? And if you do, uh, do you think it's the right call? Uh, I do think it's Leonard. I have no inside knowledge. That's just what we're assuming on uh, hockey night. But uh, I think it is the right call. Um, I go back and forth, I have to be honest. Once uh, they went back to Flurry in game five, I thought the net was his for the rest of the playoffs. But uh, although the loss wasn't on him, it looks to me like he's lost a little bit of that swagger that he has. 
Uh, I think Leonard is the perfect guy for this role because he's kind of defiant, right? Like he really believes in himself. And he kind of has that attitude like if you don't believe in me, don't worry. I believe in myself. And so I think going into a game like this in that building, and uh, by the way, with the results that he had in game four, it just seems to make sense. But uh, that's a tough decision, right, when you're going back and forth so much right now. I am on record as saying I don't mind using both goaltenders but right now when it's going back and forth it just seems a tiny bit like it's a little panicky poor looking at Leonard's playoff stats that poor game against Colorado did not do him (laughs) well what do you think about him saying about Robin Leonard saying that he went to the rink two hours before everyone else to read social media to build up some sort of Michael Jordan-esque you know I guess grudge against the media first off do you think that's true and like that can't be great can it for your preparation uh, well, all of us are unique, right, in our own little ways, and we've we learned a lot about Leonard over the years, and he certainly speaks his mind, and to me, he speaks truthfully, uh, and I do think that it, although it's unusual, I think for a guy like Leonard, it can work, and I, I'll explain myself. So. He's getting all riled up, right? Like I said, he's defiant, and mm. so I would go back to myself, uh, my state of mind I had to have hatred in my mind and you know that's in my heart I had to have hatred towards the other team I played in a state of hate and so if Leonard has to get there through social media I'm perfectly fine with that I'm you know to a certain degree I kind of understand it because you know you have to get emotionally to a level that most people don't in life and if that's uh, the tool you use perfect I'd be really good at that, Kelly. Really good. <laughs> um, let me ask you this, and I love the goaltender's perspective. You said it yourself. Everyone's a little bit different when it comes to goalies. We were talking about Carey Price in his deadpan and how cool, calm, and collected. He talks with Kyle Bukoskis after Game 7 against the Toronto Maple Leafs, and it seems like it might as well have been a preseason game in Verdun. Like, it was unbelievable. But when you spout out the stats, like, since 2015, you get him three-plus goals. He's 18-0. They get him two-plus goals in this playoffs, and he's unbeaten. Like, what kind of level are we seeing? Is, is this near historic? Uh, I, I hesitate because historically we've had some incredible performances yeah. uh, by a number of different people, but it's uh, certainly noteworthy. And uh, I just think, you know, when you watch him, He's enjoying it, although he looks stoic. You know, we've had moments on camera where he's made a mistake. I can remember one giveaway with the puck, and uh, seconds later he had to make a save off Marcia, so I believe, and uh, the puck might have gone out of play, and there's Kerry with a big smile on his face. So I'm thinking to myself, I would have had a really concerned look on my face, and he's just enjoying it. So I think we're seeing a lot of different sides of Kerry. Of course, he's uh, always under control, and he's so uh, beautiful to watch technically. But uh, I'm really enjoying his attitude and that uh, he seems so, so relaxed. Where do you stand on the, uh, you know, giving heat to the Vegas forwards for not scoring goals versus giving Montreal credit for keeping them at bay? Like, to me, the top guy's got to score goals. At some point, Mark Stone, these guys are going to be under fire if they don't score. Or is it just Montreal's deserving that much credit? 
I give Montreal tons of credit. There's no question about it. And uh, we're going to show in our pregame some of their checking tonight. Uh, so you might want to watch that because it's must-see television. But <laughs> I, I think more so it's about the Vegas top two lines. And they're just not producing. And in fact, I have to say Stone... Uh, looked frustrated last game, and that's what Cassie Campbell-Pascal mentioned in our broadcast. And uh, you don't see that often from him. He's such a, a great two-way player, right? And he is making bad decisions with the puck. He went back to the bench after the third goal and slammed his stick. Um, and so there are signs that uh, the way Montreal's playing, that it's really getting to the top two lines. Hey, listen, Marcia so said that, that at some point the top players on Vegas have to score, and tonight would be a good time. That pregame, Kelly, is right here on Sportsnet. Uh, Justin, Jesse, and I will take you all the way till we hand the baton off to Ron McLean, you and the rest of the crew. So thanks for doing this, and we'll see you again at around 7.30 Eastern time. Thanks, guys. Nice chatting. Thanks, Kelly. There is uh, Kelly Rudy from the home office in Calgary. I'm not sure which one's more famous, Kelly or Cassie. They both have a home office. They both are in Calgary. Yeah. And every Canadian has seen in their home office at least 100 times this That's year. That's the dream. Do, they, do you get Sportsnet to pay for that if you have a home office? How does that work? Yeah, without a doubt. That becomes part <laughs> of uh, at least tax deductible okay. because now you're working from a home Great. office. Okay. Uh, don't ask me how I know, but I've been audited a bunch of times. <laughs> okay. <laughs> a reminder, we will continue. Into, I'm not bitter about it at all. It doesn't all, sound though. like no, you. You're fine. No, not at all. Yeah. I'm absolutely positive. It's fine. We're here till 7.30 Eastern. <laughs> One more segment on Sportsnet 360, Sportsnet 590, the fans. So we'll do a little last call after the break. And then 30 minutes of bonus, Tim and Friends. Welcome back, kids. A reminder, Tim and Friends continues on Sportsnet till 7.30 Eastern time. Ahead of game six between the Golden Knights and Canadians. Not sure if you heard they're playing tonight. It's game six. We'll head back to Montreal a couple of times before handing you off to Ron McLean. Hockey Central. At 7.30 Eastern Time. Mate meantime and between time, I mixed them together and came up with that mouth fart that you just heard. Justin Bourne in studio, J mouth Jesse fart. Rubinoff, <laughs> now joining us for Last Call. Take it away, please, Jesse. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, okay. Eight. Wild scene in the Mexican Baseball League on Wednesday night. We the have Mexican to, Baseball League. You heard that correctly. Okay. The Mexican Baseball League. We got to address what happened. Gabriel Gutierrez of the Toros. See, I don't even need to read it. What? Charges the mound, like throws his bat at the pitcher Brandon Quintero through his helmet. You saw there. Bench is clear. Brawl continued for a while. Two-handed through his bat. Yeah. Uh, the Toros oh are managed by three-time MLB All-Star Omar Vizquel. Fernando Rodney actually finished the game for them. But, uh, Justin, the question is, do you think Chris Lee would have called a penalty on any of this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? There was no contact. There's no such thing as an uh, attempted uh, assault penalty in hockey. I think he's in the clear. That took the Bryce Harper helmet throw to another level. Like, I don't think I've ever seen anyone throw a bat before. And now, you go to prison if you like, can. Even if, like, yeah. That's ridiculous. Even if you, like, like didn't, you, like, intentionally didn't hit him, you're still throwing a bat. I wonder if, like, he missed significantly. Yeah, that's and what he's, I mean. And you seemingly are pretty coordinated. Like, I wonder if he realized halfway through this like, as what am I doing? Like, what the hell am I doing? No chance. But this was a, yeah. That guy's blackout. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was black. The brawl is as crazy as I've ever seen. Like, listen, we make fun of baseball bench clearing. They're not brawls, they're mm. just bench clearing. 
this was a brawl oh, and they're ridiculously unsafe and stupid at times this was all of those things and yet i am remarkably glued to all of it it's a my, street my fight in the red mist it's just yeah just losing it's a street yeah, fight they're playing, again tonight. <laughs> they're playing again yeah. tonight so uh, maybe we'll have an update hold on. on they're playing again tonight that's correct good luck there better be teams. some mass suspensions. Yeah. Be, oh, both teams are playing eight guys. Like, what the hell? We'll see what the Mexican Baseball League Commissioner's Office has to say. That's, I, like, that might happened. be the best. I mean, Canada-Mexico. Do you remember that one? That was a pretty crazy brawl yes. in just, the World Baseball, World Baseball Classic. Classic. Yeah, yeah Sergio that. Romo. Yeah. He's got Nolan Ryan throwing uh, no the headlock. Yeah, no. <laughs> That's my favorite. Who was the dude? And I, my, it might have been. I, this is No one's going to know the answer to this. But there was a dude once who got hit. And just kicked the catcher. It was like yeah. a horse. Mm. <laughs> Boom! Yeah. Like yeah, Shawn Michaels' the guy who's gonna hold you back. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I love that. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's continue with baseball. The... Someone whispered to me, Izzy Alcantara was the guy Ooh, who did it. So we got nice. an answer from the building. Nice. The Padres beat the boys. Dodgers last night, completing the first sweep over LA since 2013. This Padres fan loving it, giving high fives all around. <laughs> yeah, until he saw a Dodgers fan. Tim, is Dodgers-Padres the best rivalry in baseball right now on the field and among the fans? It seems like it's not as crazy as Dodgers. Like, Dodgers-Giants is stupid. So Always. it seems like Dodgers-Padres is a little more fun. So I'll take that. And yet, yes, it, I know you want me to say it's New York and Boston is not. It's how, Dodgers and somebody. How about you can just become famous now for being a DB to another fan, like the Suns fan that just like <laughs> oh he made the it guy. acceptable. Yeah, he made yeah, it acceptable. Like, that just, that was okay. Just dummied that guy repeatedly. That anyway. If yeah. you like, and I said this before, like if you, I'm almost okay with his stardom because if you dump a beer on a guy yeah. and then take a cheap shot swing at them, yeah. every once in a while you der- deserve to get your ass you're, kicked. You're allowed to eat a few there. Yeah, We're going to yeah. celebrate the guy yeah. throwing them. Right. And he got up and he left. You so it's not over. as if... And he's saying that he didn't lose the fight now. I don't know if you've heard this. He's How the, do you make that? Yeah. He wants a rematch. Oh, yeah. He wants a rematch. He wants a rematch. Yeah. Pay-per-view. Everything's pay-per-view. Exhibition yeah. match. It'll be Logan Paul's undercard <laughs> next time out. Uh, we talked about this earlier. Uh, the Nassau County Coliseum last night for Game 6. It was insane. Potentially the last ever game in the building, and the fans were in fine form, including this chant for Steven Stamkos that we actually haven't heard in the show yet. Hell with nuance. <laughs> <laughs> Justin, what's your... Uh, I know we have Islanders ties. You talked about it earlier. What's your favorite memory of the building? So I have, like, positive ones. My yeah. dad, you know, obviously is Jersey... Or sorry, no, his Jersey going up, but being inducted into the Isles Hall of Fame. But for me, uh, my first NHL main camp, go there for, uh, you know, the check-in day where we're going to do all the testing, bring my bag into the little, like, locker room. I'm like, okay, I'm going to change my gear. And I asked the PR guys, like, where's the, the actual dressing room? And he was like, you're in it. And not only was it not the PR... PR guy, it was a goaltender on the team, Wade Dublowitz. I literally, like, it was such a pathetic dressing room, and he's, he was, like, a very non-athletic looking human, but I just, like, had the whole, I just imagined my first NHL experience being a little, like, a little more glamorous. It'd be a little more, <laughs> yeah, to no, it all, and uh, it looked like you were in the, uh, the in spare a, in a dressing room. change room with Wade Dublowitz. It's not how I saw it happening, that's all. Just always be a dump. Yeah. Uh, the Canadian Elite Basketball League, the CEBL, begins its third season tonight hey. as the Niagara River Lions visit the Ottawa Blackjacks. Teams are back playing in their home arenas after last season was played in a bubble in St. Catharines. Timmy, why do you talk about this league so much? 
This and the CPL are trying to do something that we need in this country, and that is domestic pro leagues that are littered with our own players, Canadian players. And they've done a CEBL has done a really good job of keeping Canadians in Canada and even employing some that come back from Europe because right. of the time that they play. Uh, when they're allowed fans back in the stands, it's worth going out to see. Uh, we always say shop local. Why not bring that to sports? Like, I don't know why we don't do that more. There could be a motto somewhere in there. You're in not going to do it for them. but I can pass it on be, to the yeah, CBL. They can take it now. Yeah. Same with the CPL. I love what we're seeing. Uh, Justin, Jesse, they're sticking with us, okay? We're done on Sportsnet 360, Sportsnet 590, and the fan. But we are going to stay on the air. Sportsnet, flip over right now. We'll take a quick break. Be back on the other side. John Paul Morosi is joining us from Montreal. He's working with the NHL Network. We'll get back in the building and see if we hear Diane Bibo next. Tim and Friends.